0: Anybody feel like God's talking today? Good stuff. Well, I want to share just a little more with you today before we wrap this up. We have been in a series together called Me, My Selfie, and I. And uh, before we go any further, we got a week three winner. Selfie of the week. You ready? Here's the winner. Another credit card gone. That's a good selfie. That's a good selfie. In light of the financial peace that we just went through, um, that's Mr. Jordan Lewis who has just cut up another credit card that needed to exit the earth. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I love the fact that that's the selfie of the week because what we're talking about in this series is something so powerful that it'll actually do something in your life like you can hurt financially but not go to financial peace because you're worried about how people would see you. That's what this series is about. Isn't that crazy? I mean, but we do that with stuff, right? Where even we know we hurt, but we just... We can't say we're sorry, even though we know we're wrong. We can't celebrate other people's successes. That's the stuff we're talking about. The Bible calls it pride. And it's not just self-destructive. It also pushes other people away. In fact, I would go so far as to say it even pushes God away. The Bible says he hates pride. He hates it. Now, for the first two weeks... We have been viewing pride in terms of arrogance. Arrogance. That's how we typically recognize it. That's the evidence. When somebody's so arrogant, right, they always have to top you. They always have to prove themselves to be better than you. There's an arrogance. that's, That's common. We've looked at two kings in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. But I want you to see pride like a pendulum. And on one side, pride looks like arrogance, But on the other side, pride actually looks like insecurity. It's the side of pride that says, nobody likes me. Nobody cares about me. I'll never have what they have. Now, that doesn't sound like arrogance, but my question is, who's that about? Who's at the center of the picture? I. I. I'm still the center of the frame. I'm still the only one you can see in the selfie. I'm still making life about me. When we do that, life gets ugly. The solution for both sides of the pendulum, whether it's arrogance or whether it's insecurity, the solution is humility. Because humility is having an accurate view of yourself. And when you don't have an accurate view of yourself, you will live your life to seek the approval of others. You become an approval junkie. An approval junkie. Now, I'm really excited about sharing this message with you today. I really hope you like it. No, really. I, I mean, I hope you come back, and I hope that by the time we're done today, I mean, just honestly, I hope you like me better by the time we're done today. There's a part of me that wants to say, I hope you realized what I just said so that you realize what I just did. And that wasn't intentional. I'm not really that shallow, but I would only say that because I am really hope I really care about how you see me. Right? My point is that we live this way all the time in terms of people's perception, how people see us. You might be an approval junkie if you worry too much about what other people think. You might be. If this is the most powerful icon in your life can we see it can we see the icon there you go if that's the most powerful icon in your life right you post something and you immediately who likes it who likes it Um, there is an addiction to this icon that is real It, it is not it is not that it's like a drug it is a drug I mean it's been proven what happens in your brain when this is what you trust in when this is what you anchor your life to you worry too much about what other people think what happens is you move from affirmation to validation do you know what the difference is affirmation is I want to know if I'm doing the job right. Validation is I I want to know if I'm right with you. In other words, affirmation is do I do a good job? Validation is am I a good person? And when you tell me those things, that's how I interpret it. I I want to know am I good, am I good, am I good. You might be an approval junkie if that's how you see life. You might be an approval junkie if you're overly sensitive. You ever heard this equation? A thousand compliments plus one criticism equals criticism. Because you just can't get past that one thing that got said. We have a tendency to do that because we can be approval junkies. You might be an approval junkie if you compromise your values. What I mean by that is we say we have values, but when the pressure's on, we end up changing our behavior for the approval of people. When the moment happens, you just go along with it because you want, to, you want to fit in. You might be an approval junkie if you have a hard time saying no. You know your calendar, and you know you're tired, but you say yes because you're afraid of what people will think if you say no. They're going to think I can't handle it. That They're going to think that the load's too too much for me. Or you say yes because it's the chance for one more hit. Somebody's going to say good job and you're going to interpret that good person. And so you really struggle to say no. I'm telling you this is powerful and it is important to know who you are, where you find your significance, where you get your true value, and you need to hear it from the one who created you. So we're studying the book of Daniel. Um, If you want to go there in your Bible right now, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the book of Daniel again. Hey, just a side note while you're going there, we want you to have a Bible. And so if you want one, talk to us. We'd love to to help get you connected to the right one that we believe is, you know, would work for you. Um, We'll even help you get one if you can't actually get one. Um, If you want to look at one right now and don't have one, um, just take one from somebody around you. Um, Just take it because we're in church and it's a Bible, and people can't really get upset about that stuff. So, just take it, or you can follow on the screen. All right. Here's the background to what we're about to read. Israel, God's people, are they're in a major timeout. They're in a timeout because of their pride. God actually allows a foreign power to come and conquer them. It started with Nebuchadnezzar. He's a Babylonian king. Uh, When he conquered them, he chose some of the brightest of the bright, and he takes them back to Babylon, wanting to turn them into Babylonians to serve him. One of them is Daniel, but Daniel stays faithful to God. And where we've arrived in Daniel chapter 6 Daniel is now serving under King Darius, who is a Mede. Now, the way it worked is week one, the Babylonians took over the Israelites. Week two, the Persians took over the Babylonians. And now in week three, what's happened is the Medes and the Persians, right? The Medo-Persian Empire, look it up sometime when you're super bored. Look it up sometime. They've come together, formed an alliance, and King Darius is the one in charge. Here's what it says, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was who? Daniel, would you say that Darius trusts him? Yeah. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Here's this little Hebrew kid that Nebuchadnezzar stole, right? Took him back to Babylon. But Daniel stays so faithful to God and his integrity is so strong that now the king is about to trust him with everything. But let me warn you when God shows you favor, there will always be people who oppose. Verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And come on, these, these guys live in a day where um, I don't probably not much different than our own, where there's constantly news in the headlines of, of people in government positions who, who are found to be corrupt. And so what do they do? They try to find something on Daniel, but no skeletons in the closet. And they come to the conclusion that the only way they're going to get him is to create tension between the law of the land and the law of God. That's the only way you're going to get him. Verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. Like, well, that's a nice thing to say. No, it's not. It's flattery. In this particular case, it's flattery. Flattery is when you encourage someone with a hidden agenda. Flattery is when you try to build somebody up because you actually are about to want something. That's flattery. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 29, 5, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Ooh. So I don't know what the conversation looked like, but these guys walk in, and it's like, King Darius, you've been working out, man. Dude, you, you got tickets to the gun show, right? Man, I, I mean, you look like, have you lost weight? I, I mean, we're just going to say it out loud because it's obvious. You look 10 years younger, man. And they're pouring it on. The problem is flattery feeds pride. It feeds pride. Darius, can't you see the net at your feet? No, he can't. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, may be thrown into the lion's den. Let's make it law. Nobody worships anybody but you, King Darius. So Darius reacts instead of thinking through the process, and he issues a decree. And in that day, when a decree is issued, it cannot be retracted. It was the law of the land. No king can retract an edict. So what's Daniel's options? Well, option number one, he could stop praying, right? He could just stop. I mean, he could go to God and do the, hey, God, we kind of need to take this month off. But if you're okay with that, I mean, we'll pick it back up in a month. And the good thing is, I'll still be here. Option number two, he could fake it. He could. Daniel could fake it, right? Praying with my eyes open, right? You think I'm singing, I'm actually praying. Or actually, silent prayer. You don't even know what I'm doing. I'm still praying, but you can't tell. Or option number three, he can keep praying publicly and risk death. What does he do? Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, check out this phrase, just as he had done before. In other words, Daniel is going to keep on being Daniel, just like he's always done. Just like he did when he first got to Babylon. And they wanted him to, to eat meat that had been sacrificed to, to, to the idols. He's like, I, I'm, I'm not going there. I, I'm not going there. He, he stood his ground. The scripture said back there, he resolved not to eat the king's food. In other words, he, he pre-decided. He doesn't get to a crossroad and then decide what to do. Daniel is the kind of guy who resolves to go, I'm going to stand where God stands, and whatever crossroad we get to, I'm pre-deciding I'm going with God. Well, the officials throw Daniel under the bus, as you can imagine, or as always crack up with this, because when my son was really little, he thought we were saying under the butt. So, which sometimes it feels like that, right? They they threw him under the butt, all right? The king is distressed because he trusts Daniel, but he's made a law. He can't sleep, he can't eat, but there's not a way out. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Verse 19, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Can you imagine the pause? I'm thinking if I'm Daniel, I'm just going to pause for a second. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. And I think for me, the crazy part of all this is that Daniel did not know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. He didn't. I think if we were Daniel, most of us would do the, God, I really want to trust you, but I really want to know how this turns out. God, I I really want to trust you here, but I really want to know how this turns out. And come on, God could have, right? God could have come to Daniel and said, Daniel, keep believing, man. Keep on praying, because this is going to be good, I'm telling you. Daniel, I'm going to show up. I'm going to save you. I'm going to send an angel. We're going to shut the mouths of the lions, man. And it's going to get even better than that because you know, right? Daniel, I'm writing a story, and and I'm putting this story together. It is going to be quite a work. And you know what? There are going to be books that are a part of this story that people one day are going to call the Bible. And man, your story's not just going to be in there. Dude, you're going to have a book named after you. You know what, Daniel, the day's going to come, people are going to name their sons after you. In fact, they're going to end up adding a couple of letters and naming their daughters after you. Keep believing. But God didn't do that. God didn't tell him any of that. All Daniel had was his pre-decided trust in his God. And the big question today is do you? Because if you don't, when you hit the crossroad, you'll choose the easy way out. If your heart is not resolved toward him, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what, then when you hit the crossroad, you will choose the route that benefits you the most when your friends when your friends at that crossroad pressure you to move in such a way that you know you know does not represent the heart of god if you are not resolved ahead of time when you get to the crossroad you will do it you will do what they want to save face If you're not resolved, then you'll get to that crossroad and you'll do whatever it takes to move up that ladder. Even though you know how you're treating people is not how God wants people treated. But if you don't resolve ahead of time, you'll get to that crossroad and suddenly it will be what is best for you believe for you and you will just move in that direction. If you don't resolve ahead of time, I'm telling you, the relationship that you're in, right, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever it is, the power to be loved, at least what you perceive to be loved, will cause you to cross lines that you swore you would never cross. You will end up doing whatever you believe will make you happy. And it's amazing that even in those moments sometimes we'll claim that God is in it. Even when what's going on is completely opposite of what his word has to say, we'll go, but it must be God, because this looks like what'll make me happy. King Darius realizes after the fact what's happened. He takes action against those who are trying to destroy Daniel. And then this is what he says in verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. How do you overcome the disease to please? And I believe the answer is this. You choose to live from the approval of God instead of for the approval of others. In other words, when you are anchored in the truth of who God says you are, when your view is clear about how he sees you, then suddenly your life, your value, your worth is not dependent on what other people think about you. It's not dependent on how many likes you have because when God says, this is what I like, and when God declares, I love you, then it, the gospel sets us free from the need of approval from other people. So come on, I, we shouldn't be shocked at this. It is the tendency that exists our whole life. Because remember when you were a kid, and if you don't remember when you were a kid, then you, you, you've been around some, right? Because this is how it goes. Hey, mom, watch this. Hey, mom, look at what I can do. Hey, Mom, hey, Mom, watch this. Hey, Mom, check this out. Right? Look, Mom, look, Mom, look, Mom, look, Mom. Right? Even from the earliest of age, there is this desire. There's this desire for affirmation. Right? Am I, am I doing a good job here? But what happens is that affirmation turns into validation. And it's not just that you're looking for a good job anymore. You're looking for a good person, good person, good person, good person. And you start to seek it from friendships, and then you seek it from teachers, and then you seek it from coaches, and then you seek it from coworkers, and then it becomes bosses, and you name it. And your whole life, that affirmation has become validation. But oh, if you could only see how big God is And to know that at the end of the day, all that matters is what he says about you. Can I tell you? First John chapter three, verse one. See what great love the father has lavished on us. Do you know... You are loved. By who? A heavenly father. The one who spoke it all into existence. That he loves you. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are, he says. Children of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. You know what that means? God paid an extraordinary price for you. Why? Loved! Crazy loved by him. He paid it through his blood that you would have forgiveness of sin completely clean in accordance with the riches of his grace. Come on, do you believe in a God whose grace is bigger than your mind can truly wrap around? You saw a video earlier today about a young man. I I love that story. He was lined up to be in, you know, what many of you know as Judgment House or, you know, Rock the World in the drama. And he was going to play one part. And some things unfolded to where, you know where he ended up? In the invitation room. Where he heard the gospel shared over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he walked away that night going, I'll believe. I'm saying that's grace. That's a God of grace who says I'll do whatever it takes to get to you because I love you. Romans eight thirty seven. knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just able to overcome a few things. Not just a, more than conquerors. He said, Ephesians two ten. For we are God's. What's the work? What's the what's the word? Handiwork, right? We we are God's handiwork. The word in Greek is poema. Poema. It sounds a little like poem. What's a poem? A poem is a beautiful work of written art and God's going, do you understand that's who you are to me? You are the poem that I have written, a poem of beauty, a poem of love. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. In all your imperfections, he's still using you to push back the darkness. Anybody enjoy the eclipse this week? Yeah, around here it was like a 99. I don't know five or something like that. Anybody walk away from that moment going, "Hmm, I've forgotten how a little bit of light can still light up the whole place." Yeah, that's the power. That's the power that God has placed in you. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You carry a message on his behalf, a message of reconnecting to God. Romans 8.17, now if we are children, then we are heirs. What do you mean we are heirs? I'm saying you got an inheritance. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is access to all that God is and all that he has. That's who you are. And then verse 11 in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. I don't know how to declare greater value than the fact that God could live anywhere he wants to. And he chooses to reside in you. Who cares what somebody says or doesn't say on Facebook? When the God of creation says, I love you. If you will stand with me, we're going to sing it. We'll be right over here on the side if you need prayer today. We will be honored to pray for you however we can. All that matters, all that matters is to love him and be loved by him.